0: Hello, and welcome to the Zondits Energy Podlet. I'm Gita,
1: And I'm Elihu, and thanks for joining us for Season 1. Hi hey
0: everyone, welcome to today's episode. Uh, so I'm sure you've all heard of electric vehicles like, you know, cool Tesla. Um, they've gotten a huge amount of and really represent an impressive shift away from the traditional internal combustion engine which has been around for, for decades, for generations.
1: Yeah, and there are some huge upsides to this ongoing transition to electric vehicles. The one that policymakers focus on a lot are the reduced emissions as a result of you know, not having a tailpipe. But there are also huge public health benefits for cities as a result of less particulate matter and smog in dense areas.
0: But it's not as simple as just replacing each internal combustion engine with an electric car. Um, Electrifying travel has lots of implications for our grid and the way we design that infrastructure. So some see the switch to EVs as an opportunity to also drive less, um, getting around in other ways like mass transit, bikes,
1: or, you know, like, Walking. (laughs) So we had a chance uh, to speak with an ERS pro on this topic, Walter Schaefer, and he talked to us about all things electric vehicles.
0: Check it out. Hey guys, um, we are here with Walter Schaefer, project engineer at ERS. Hi, Walter. How's it going?
2: It's going well. Um, How are you guys? Good.
0: Pretty good. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what you work on at ERS uh, in regards to uh, electric vehicles?
2: yeah absolutely. um so I have worked on two projects so far, primarily analyzing um, electric vehicle driver charging behavior. So we have looked at when people are charging and how how utilities might shift that charging to more desirable times of the day, effectively shifting that load from whatever utilities' peak hours might be to whenever the peak ends or after midnight or something, basically whenever it's not gonna cause an issue for the grid. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also looking at uh, how customers look at EVs, how they think about EVs, what they think about charging infrastructure, and how all those thoughts and their level of awareness plays into their uh, willingness or proclivity to actually buy an EV and give it a shot going electric.
0: Mm Very cool. Um, So one of the things that we hear a lot about in the news is that electric vehicles are going to save us, we're in the midst of a, a, a crisis here with climate change and we're trying desperately, or many of us are trying desperately to reduce our emissions. So what what do you think would happen if we replaced all of the internal combustion engines out there with EVs?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think it would be a really big shift for utilities to have to, to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be a lot of loads that are moving around spatially and temporally um, in ways that are probably not super easy to predict. Um, so I think it would make their lives a little bit harder when it comes to managing the grid. Um, in terms of every like in terms of life beyond that, I think we might see some emissions reductions. We might see like some better air quality, probably a, more of an improvement in cities. Where cars are way denser, um, but it's kind of hard to say how the grid or like the rest of society would be affected because adoption is pretty low at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a sense of what the adoption rate has been so far? What the sales have been, where where it's been most popular, that kind of thing. Like,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think California is leading the way in the U.S. I believe the last figure I saw was about eight percent of their sales right now are. Electric in some way that may include plug-in hybrids. Um, In other states, they're hovering between like one and four percent, I believe. And I think the Northeast is kind of a um, another like hub. So a lot of the states in the Northeast are um, part of the zero-emission vehicle group. Um, So they have goals to like get EVs purchased and get them on the street and basically turn their fleets over to electrification, electrified vehicles. Uh, and then some states in the Midwest, I think like Minnesota and Michigan, are taking some steps. And Georgia, kind of a, a random outlier in the Southeast, had uh, incentives a while back, and they, they saw a fair amount of sales.
0: That's cool. So are we seeing certainly more interest from the consumer marketplace for uh, electric vehicles, zero emission vehicles? I mean, certainly. You know, everyone sees a, a Tesla on the street and it, it turns heads because it's such a unique-looking car. How do people in the marketplace, average consumers, feel about electric vehicles? Like, what are what are some of the things that people like about them, and what are some things that people just don't
2: like about them? Sure. Um, well, I think the general atmosphere is people are more coming around to the idea of electric vehicles as they more and more automakers basically, like every month or every year, they're committing. To releasing more and more electric models, um, which is great. So that will just increase the availability of EVs um, for the average person beyond what everyone thinks of, which is like the Tesla. Um, oh, uh, I've started to see like ads for electric vehicles. That I was telling Elihu, I saw one for an electric motorcycle from Harley Davidson, but I've also seen. Sweet. Um, Audi and Kia and other EV ads on TV, which I think, like every fourth ad that I think I see is for a car. Every fourth commercial on TV is for a car. So I think the fact that we're seeing EVs advertised on TV is like a, a great sign that automakers think they're um, they're willing to put money behind it, like marketing dollars behind it. Uh, in general, what people like about EVs, um, I think they're fun to drive. They accelerate pretty well. They handle pretty well. Um, They're emission free, which is great, especially if you're um, environmentally inclined. Mm -hmm. I think some of the things that people view as negatives are, in a lot of cases, not actually the case anymore. So people are worried about battery range that's pretty limited, or super long charging times, or just like a general lack of availability. Um, of the vehicles themselves or the infrastructure, and I think slowly like kind of under the radar. Um, There's more and more infrastructure, EVs have become more and more available, but range has increased or has improved uh, pretty dramatically and cost has come down a lot. So I think a lot of the things that people think are true about EVs are at this point myths and they're like approaching parity with um, internal combustion engine
1: vehicles. And on the infrastructure side, in terms of th- the potential for that to change over the coming years, um, you know, uh, uh, Volkswagen has had to set aside several billion dollars in order to pay back states that have had a lot of drivers who bought uh, VW cars um, and were told that they had a certain miles to the gallon and certain emissions associated with them that were not true. So um, can you talk, that that the funding, you know, VW has now... Given states um, through an intermediary group, uh, and certainly not voluntarily, um, uh, you know, something like a billion and a half or two billion dollars total um, mm-hmm. in funding for for infrastructure. Can you talk about which states are receiving that money and uh, what what their kind of plans for that money is, and how that could change any any of the sim- concerns about infrastructure?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the VW settlement in a nutshell. Um, it's either 2 or $2.9 billion that's available to be distributed to the states. And that money is allocated based on how many of the 2 and 3 liter diesel vehicles were sold in each state. So it roughly parallels state populations. Like California has tons of money, Texas, Florida, New York, Illinois. Um, and these states are able to spend the money on, I believe there are eight eligible actions they can take. So they can replace like certain vehicle classes um, with the goal being to get because it was like a diesel emissions cheating scandal, the primary focus of the program is to reduce NOx emissions. Um and in doing so you typically reduce greenhouse gas emissions too. So focusing on basically diesel vehicles means a lot of the eligible actions allow states to uh purchase like Heavier duty vehicles like buses and garbage trucks and like port equipment and things that are found at airports, um, buses as well. Um, And they're able to switch those over to electric, which is great, but they can also, some of the, they're also able to like turn those over to other alternative fuels that are not diesel, um, like compressed natural gas and things like that. There are obviously still emissions associated with those fuels. Um, And generally, if you're going that route, less of your project can get funded, so you can usually get 75% of a project uh, funded by the the fund if you're going to go all electric, but you can only get 40% maybe if you're switching to a non-electric fuel. Uh, And the states that are, there's like kind of a handful of states that are leading the way. And every state is making a plan. I don't know how many states have like fully published their plans, but of the states that I reviewed, Rhode Island, is going to electrify um, a portion of their transit authority's bus fleet, and they're also going to spend 15% of their money on EV infrastructure, just for like light duty, run-of-the-mill regular vehicles, which is the most you're allowed to spend uh, of your total allotment. And then New Jersey is uh, awarding basically grants to a series of cities and to some port, some port uh, companies, and like. Logistics firms to purchase electric, um, like short haul trucks, some buses, and I believe garbage trucks as well. So the fund does does a good job in kind of splitting where the money can go between getting EV infrastructure installed for personal vehicles, but really helping to spur the medium and heavy duty. part of the part of the transportation sector, which have like there are more there are also more electrified options coming out for those vehicles, but I think they're having a slightly harder time catching on mm-hmm. just because they're much more expensive assets and it's a little bit more uncertain how you're gonna like run an electric bus if you've always run diesel buses and mm-hmm. you just don't know how to run something brand new
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm
0: sure so you mentioned that um, as part of the VW settlement plan, some states are allocating some of that funding towards infrastructure. So um, I'm imagining that means means charging stations, um, allowing uh, folks with light-duty electric vehicles to refuel, as it were. Um, so, given that you need a place to charge them, what are what are some of the considerations that um, a city or a department of transportation or, or any kind of authority having jurisdiction there um, would take into account when selecting the siting of those charging stations.
2: Sure. Um, I think really like the goal is to get those chargers installed wherever there's utility capacity
1: mm-hmm.
2: and lots of drivers. So it's kind of tough uh, to find that overlap, uh, but it can be done. So you're looking to... Um, you want to make sure whatever charger you're going to install is going to get used a fair amount, and the utility wants to make sure it's not going to overwhelm them or cost a ton of money to like beef up capacity to to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think what like what cities are doing will differ from more suburban areas mm-hmm. um, just because density. In cities, density in cities is great, but when it comes to charging electric vehicles, it's a little bit tough. Because if you have like a high rise apartment building with a hundred or a thousand apartments, there's probably a parking garage in there, but you can't give every spot an EV charger necessarily. Because if everyone were to plug in, it would be an enormous load in
1: addition to the building, which is already an enormous load. Mm-hmm. Um, can, so, we, can we put a number, uh, li- just a geek out session for a second here? Yeah. So what is an average light-duty vehicle? I, there's lots of different battery sizes and stuff out there, but what kind of kilowatts are, is a battery charging at a level 2 charger, say, pulling at a given time? Level 2,
2: I believe the standard is like 6 to 7 kW. Okay. And, I, and that'll take like
1: 4 to 6 hours maybe. So that's m- more than a house, let's say, a suburban house.
2: Yeah, it's probably like seven houses, roughly.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so that's one car, <laughs> and if we think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a, even in a densely built apartment building, uh, you know, if we're gonna scribe one car, maybe even for every two apartments, uh, you, you know, you're talking about a fifty percent to a hundred percent increase in total load for that building. Maybe even more if you get crazier about your assumptions about how many cars yeah. each apartment has. So, um, so that's that's a that's a very serious concern, you know, that's that All right. So, I just wanted to pause and, yeah, uh, t- no, <laughs> and <laughs> you. think that through. It,
0: it kind of strikes me even in a suburban environment, even though you might not have the same level of density as a highly urbanized area, that in those places they uh, charging, you know, maybe two electric vehicles because many households have two or more, <coughs> you know, Uh, everyone has a car, I guess, in in many places in the United States, that that could really severely uh, impact the grid, even in those areas that haven't seen those load pockets previously.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Definitely in more like residential suburban areas. um, I've heard it said that in those kind of areas, like relatively widespread EV adoption isn't going to bring the grid down, but if you have a couple houses all around the same cul-de-sac to buy an EV and plug in at the same time, then, like, the feeder, like, the circuit that feeds all those homes could become overwhelmed. So it's like the impacts might be more localized mm-hmm. there, as they would be in a, a multifamily high-rise in any big city. Um, but that's definitely a concern if someone has two vehicles, too. I, I don't know if they would want to stagger their charging or if If they're like if the service coming into their home
1: would be able to handle that mm. so so let's this seems like a good time to talk about then the utility side of this. um you mentioned you've been working on utility programs that look' been looking at ev people who already have gotten EVs and how they behave um and then how utilities can sort of respond to that behavior um, can you just talk about how you know typically we think of a home using they turn stuff on and they get charged on it just a Kilowatt hour basis, and they don't really see the power draw over you know the way a commercial customer might be built. Um, given that, how, can you talk about sort of what the utilities are worried about and what and how what they're proposing to do about this? What are the signals that they could give a consumer to change these effects from happening?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say first, I think the general sense with utilities is that they're pretty excited about this because it's a chance to reduce emissions, potentially increase um, electric sales, and also engage with their customers. Um, and also, you can, you can kind of make power across the board like cheaper. So they're, they're really happy about the opportunity, but they're well aware of the challenges with integrating the load and obviously avoiding the issue where the, their equipment gets fried or someone loses power because they plug in two cars at the same time. Um, so to, to deal with those issues. Um, util- utilities are looking into managed charging, managed charging solutions, um, which take a number of forms. But it's basically an attempt to communicate with the vehicle directly or with the driver a little bit more indirectly to influence them to charge at times when the gr- when like the utility wants them to. So if they're char- if they're plugging in right after work, whenever the afternoon or evening peak would be. The utility doesn't like that because it's just adding a pretty pretty big load to an already like stressful period of the day. Um, So if they can shift that load to midnight or really anytime like after once their peak ends, um, they want to do that. And so there's among managed charging, there's direct load control where they can directly send a signal to a charger that has like Wi-Fi capability and either tell that charger to shut off or tell it to just throttle itself, so it might turn from 6KW down to one and a half or two. Um, and I, th- I think in most cases, drivers have the ability to override that if they need to be somewhere, or they it's like an emergency and they have to get power to their car. Um, but I've also heard um, utility people say that, by and large, people like don't opt out of those events. They're usually okay with um, helping out the grid and it's a
1: it's a pretty marginal impact on on their driving. Um, so, so even before the customers <clears throat> seen any kind of financial signal it could all just be asking them just goodness of their heart do you mind n- not charging for the next 4 hours and and that has some effect on on people that don't people don't mind. Or is yeah, that I, a theory or a
2: It's more of a theory. I don't I don't want to say that I've actually seen that, but I um, I know it's being like thought about and studied um, the prospect of you know you could, you can pay someone and in a lot of those like demand response type programs where you're doing direct load control um, the driver's getting compensated in some way maybe it's a cheaper rate or maybe it's a like five dollars a month or s- some kind of financial incentive but people are looking into whether they can just provide information and say oh the grid is uh Going to be strained from these hours to this, this hour to this hour. Um, can we throttle your your charger? Um, and people often say yes, but they're trying to figure out if they can just like have people basically do it out of the goodness of their hearts mm-hmm. and do it to help the grid. And um, I think I think the early adopter crowd that mostly has the EVs at this point um, might be a little more inclined. They're probably driven by environmental motivations more than your average driver, Um, but they may also have a better understanding of how the grid operates or an understanding of how they could help it by by charging at certain times.
1: More engaged in general, those drivers are probably, yeah, have more literacy about (laughs) the energy system, electric grid and stuff.
2: Yeah, it's probably safe to say.
1: Yeah. (coughs) And um, just, uh, you know, while we're on... The sort of the charging topic of, of utility—you um, know, by that I mean charging the customer, and not charging the car. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it, as you t- described the markets that where EVs have been highly adopted so far, at least highly adopted relative to the rest of the country. Places like California and the Northeast. Um, the Northeast and in California produce electricity very differently these days, um, especially California with this the famous duck curve um so in california where you might incentivize people to charge in the middle of the day um not only when because it's cheap but because it's also clean in the northeast maybe there might be other indicators you might might, or it might not be that obvious when um when you know if we have a bunch of offshore wind uh, when it is that is the greatest cleanest Um, can you talk about how you know rate that affects rate design you know all of a sudden Maybe we incentivize people to charge at different times of the day in different parts of the country. So if we don't have one overarching rule for EVs, um, just can you talk about sort of communicating the nuance to a customer or a util- utility? How do they do this? This is a new territory for them.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I really don't know. I think it's going to be a challenge for them to, like time of use rates already aren't like super widely used. Um, so I think i don't I don't know what their strategies have been to communicate how those work and the benefits of those of those kind of rates to customers I imagine they'll use a similar approach for EVs but it will obviously be different times of the day and it'll vary geographically um, thinking about in California they definitely do certain utilities do have programs where they where they will um, if they can control someone's charger directly, they'll, they'll throttle it all the way up in the middle of the day when there's excess solar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they might compensate people who are charging at that time, which is a lot of people who are like charging at work or mm-hmm. maybe at the grocery store or whatever. But in the Northeast, if, if there's tons of offshore wind, there's a decent chance that offshore wind will be producing the most power overnight, which is already a beneficial time. So I don't, I don't know how they're going to approach um, rate design in that way, but it'll definitely be interesting. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who knows, I guess. Who it? knows?
0: It's like the wild west. <laughs>
1: yeah, a little bit.
0: So he- here's another question. Um, it's one thing if you are um, parking a vehicle uh, in a garage or your home, a parking spot, um, where you might have a choice to install either your own personal charger or um, have access to one that's in, a, in an area where cars are meant to be in a, in a parking lot. Um, thinking about where we are right now, which is in the middle <coughs> of Manhattan, um, street parking is a, an issue in and of itself. Um, there are definitely more cars here than there are uh, parking spaces uh, that are available and people often complain about it as we're transitioning to more and more electric vehicle ownership, how do we integrate that into an urban environment such as the one uh, where we are now?
2: Another good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I totally agree with you. There are a lot of cars here and people are pretty gung-ho about street parking. Um, I know the utility here Con Edison has Couple like pilot programs, um, basically to roll out curbside charging stations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're installing 120 of them this fall, mm-hmm. um, and I think they're still exploring where those are going to go, where they will be utilized, and where they will not disrupt things too much. Um, but then, if you're like, rolling out charging on the street, is great for all the people who rely on street parking. Um, but you run into a whole another set of issues, which is in New York, you don't want to move your car unless you have to. Clean might lose your spot. Right. But also, if you're in a spot with a charger and your battery's full, then like you should move so someone else can take that. Right. Um, <clears throat> I know the DOT here is kind of thinking about how they're gonna approach that and how like uh, try to avoid the situation and try to like make it so no one is hogging the spot with the charger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard of people using things like idling charges. Um, and someone I heard recently said, for the spots that have chargers, they're also going to be just metered for the space. So someone who's having to pay for every hour they're there, might just that should incentivize them to move, right. whether or not they're like basically once their battery is full, mm-hmm. so they aren't hogging it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, another thing you can do in cities is you can turn, like. Existing street features into chargers, mm-hmm. so light poles are a thing that could turn into a charger if you if you, if you like do a, a little upgrade to it, and then people would have to kind of bring their own plug and plug into existing things on the street.
1: Yeah,
2: that's another way to expand um, access to charging. But I th- I kind of think I guess the, the issue of how many cars there are here is separate from. Absolutely, electrifying them, and I am all for um, policies and whatever else that reduce the need to own a car in the city. I think um, you don't need a car to live here.
0: Yeah, 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 in many places. So uh, you also mentioned with the the VW settlement monies that um, some states are allocating parts of that funding towards um, replacing. Uh, diesel bus fleets with with electric buses, and that kind of kind of starts to dovetail in this idea of transit um, as another means towards reducing carbon emissions uh, from the transportation sector. Um, so, in addition to having um, electric buses, are there any other kind of transit interve- interventions that um, our policymakers could could take a, a hard look at to um, not only uh, incentivize people moving away from internal combustion engines, but moving away from private vehicle ownership altogether.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, the, best, the best way to achieve that is to make sure that your transit service is um, fast, frequent, and affordable, um, which the subway here can be, but sometimes it's a little bit hit or miss. Um, in a lot of cities in the U.S., like, the train, the, the light rail on the subway is already electrified, but buses almost universally are not. Um, so I think there's going to be a big push to electrify cities' bus fleets, um, which poses its own set of challenges in terms of charging. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, I think I heard the stat recently that 100 buses charging at the same time has roughly the same load as the Empire State Building. In um, New York, for example, has almost six thousand buses. So that's a lot. That's a lot of buses. A
1: potentially huge amount of new load. Yeah. Um, at a, at a time when we're we're struggling to supply the load that we currently need. Yes. You know, we had a black we had several blackouts um, this summer. Now that was not because we had reached our peak capacity to supply the city, but um, Nonetheless, you know, we're, we clearly have problems with the infrastructure that we have today. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about adding, um, you know, multiple Empire State Building levels of load mm-hmm. um, that are also mobile, that right. can move around, yeah. and we don't know exactly know when they will charge, um, uh, you know, it, it's not hard to imagine scenarios where you have to really overbuild our electricity system by a lot and right. increase costs yeah. in order to do that.
0: Especially if our mm-hmm. transit system ridership goes up and hopefully if, if bus service improves and increases and we're trying to get people away from one person in one car, then doesn't that kind of open up the door for you know increasing our bus fleet uh, beyond 6,000 uh, buses into I don't know, many more. Um, so again, that's kind of uh, an exponential growth in in load here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And at this point in where like most cities are, um, it's pretty tough to build new subway lines. Or and if you can do it, it takes a long time and it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. So buses are like the flexible option because the streets are there. Um, whether or not the bus can like use the streets efficiently is kind of another question that cities can. That's a lever they can pull to make bus. Bus rapid transit, bus only lanes that have actual enforcement. Um, I think I think policies like that would definitely help move people towards more transit. I think um, my experience is here in New York with the subway, which I couldn't live without, um, but I know in other cities, like people use the trains and they're they basically go where. The lines are, and they're either like helpful for your commute or where you where you need to be, or they aren't. But buses pr- give you another option instead of taking Uber or Lyft or something mm-hmm. yeah.
1: like that. And it, can you just talk a little bit about sort of the you, you know the, I think we alluded to this at the very beginning about how, what what are the what's the, exactly the problem that we're trying to solve? I mean, with EVs, it's it's not a panacea in terms of um, you know greenhouse gas emissions and, um, and even some of our larger transportation problems that we're, all, we're just talking about right now. Um, can you talk about some of the other side uh, considerations when we talk about building out an EV infrastructure? We talked about the electric side, but um, you know, as you make driving cheaper, uh, you maybe encourage more of it, um, that sort of thing. Are there other issues like that that maybe um, come up for you with thinking about EVs?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I I haven't really seen any um, research out there that suggests that um, you know if someone switches from a combustion vehicle to an electric vehicle, it, it should be cheaper to operate. It will have a, a lower total cost of ownership. Um, I don't know the extent to which people would end up driving more and actually increasing energy consumption. Um, I guess if it's way more fun to drive Mm -hmm. your EV, then maybe you're just going to take it out um, in times when you wouldn't take out your old car. Um, I do know with the potential impending arrival of autonomous vehicles, that's more of a concern. Um, And people have kind of touted the idea of you can take your autonomous vehicle to wherever you have to go, and then rather than parking it, that vehicle can just turn into a cab, or it can just drive in circles uh, until you're done, or it can go get your groceries for you or something, which sounds great, but then you just have potentially way more vehicles on the road that Mm -hmm. are consuming a ton of energy, even though it might, there's no tailpipe emissions, but you're still using grid power to charge those vehicles, potentially if they're electric and autonomous, Um, and grid power has the potential, obviously, to become emissions-free, but there's nowhere in the U.S. yet where that's the case. Um,
0: Not to mention congestion as well, which, you know, if they are um, zero-emissions vehicles, perhaps it's not a greenhouse gas emissions issue, but congestion has its own set of uh, negative externalities, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, the congestion would be, I mean, it's already bad. And if you just have a bunch of empty vehicles driving around, whether it's for... Um, a purpose or like an objective or if they're literally just driving around so they aren't parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not good for for cities or any part of the country, right. I think. Just that level of additional
1: vehicle load is a negative thing. So just sort of to wrap this up, um, I'd love to get your sense of like where do you think this is all going? I mean is it is it, uh, you know, green pastures and we're going to have EV adoption? Uh, You know, we see there are these projections out there of an S curve, where we're at the very beginning of that S curve now, and it's going to ramp up. Really, adoption of EV is going to ramp up crazy fast. You know, we've seen that in countries like Norway, um, where that was paired with a very large in-state incentive. But nonetheless, adoption happened really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, People make the comparison of the horse and buggy to the to the personal vehicle that in a very short period of time, in the early 1900s, we did that. Do you, wha- how do you feel about this? I mean, given all of the sort of grayness that we just talked about with the EVs, um, and yet also all of the greenhouse gas benefits and the uh, particulate matter benefits, um, what's your what's your feeling about how quickly this will happen, if at all? I'm, I'm optimistic. I think
2: it'll happen faster than we currently think is possible here in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I do think um, I've never driven an EV, and I, but I think they're I think they're just better vehicles from everything that I've heard from everyone who owns one. They're more fun to drive. Um, the cost is approaching parity with a traditional vehicle. Um, they're emissions free, cheaper to operate over the lifetime of the vehicle. Um, so I think just the fact that they offer all of those benefits. Um, Once people have the option and the vehicles are available and they know more about like all these myths that have been kind of busted and how EVs today like truly operate, I think they'll become the standard choice um, in relatively quick order. Uh, I heard someone say recently that just given like current vehicle turnover rates, which are roughly 10 15 years, to hit 2040 emissions goals in the transportation sector, we would effectively have to be selling almost 100% EVs by 2030. Like We can't be selling any more combustion vehicles 10 years from now. Um, And I think within much less time than that, two years, three years, four years, by 2025 for sure, there's going to be more EVs available in the market than we even might think is possible at this point. I mean, so many of the auto manufacturers are looking to go all electric or introduce electric models of existing um, vehicles, like Ford's F one hundred and fifty. Like, there's like electric pickup trucks and SUVs coming, which also yeah, are really good for the American consumer who has had those for a long time and like has built their life around that vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I think it will all right. I'm also um aware of like i don't i there are negative aspects to everyone owning a car so even if you're even if every car is electric and they're all sitting in a huge traffic jam in anywhere in the country you know that's that is still not fun for everyone who's yeah. in that traffic jam <laughs> yeah. so i'm i'm all for um going electric to the extent that we can but also smart policies that get people out of cars when it's right for them and where it makes sense, um, which I think are like pretty large parts of the country where you can live happily without a personal vehicle.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, it's it's easier to electrify an entire fleet when the entire fleet is a lot smaller. That is true. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Point. Um, all right. Great. Well, Walter Shaver, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to the Zonditz Energy Podlet.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thanks, Walt. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This podcast was made possible by Zondits. For more clean energy news, check out Zonditz.com. zondits.com. Zondit S.com. We received help from our friends at ERS, and our music was written and performed by Isaac Weinstein.